Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. We are jumping in or or continuing in this series called Running with the Giants. We are in week three of it. And uh, if it's your first week with us, let me tell you why I like this series. Because we did this series last year. This year we're doing it again. We're just adding new characters that we're looking at. But but this series does two things for us. It allows us to, the first thing it does is it allows us to get into our Bibles and look at the stories that are there, to really get to know who they were, to, to become more familiar and study out our Bible. I love that, that portion of it. The second thing is, is that as we, we look week by week at these characters, uh, we're, we're learning that they were just people like us, that they were strong people of faith, and they were the ones that went before us, but, but they were people like us with real problems just like us. And in that, we find encouragement for our, our lives that we face today, that there's things that they face that is relevant today for us. And, and my goal every week is to encourage you, but I feel like in this series in particular, you'll be very, very encouraged. And so let me just kind of lay a foundation for you. If you haven't been here, it's our theme verse for the series. It's Hebrews 12, 1. It says, therefore, now I'm just going to push pause for a second. When you look at scripture and you see the word therefore, you need to stop and consider why is it therefore? Yeah, like why, what, what's it there for? What does it mean? And, and, and the word therefore is here because uh, there's a whole chapter, chapter 11, that comes before it that talks about these heroes of the faith. You know your Bible was not written. Like these are letters that were written. They didn't come with the chapters and the verses put on them. We actually added them hundreds of years later, even thousands of years later, so that we could reference the different points in these letters. And so, you know, the author's not writing it and going, chapter 12, therefore. He, he didn't do that. This is one continuous letter, which means it's a thought that has continued from the previous chapter. And what he's talking about in the previous chapter was all these heroes of the faith and the things that they faced in their life that, that, uh, that, that inspire us still today. And he's saying, since they're there, therefore, since we've got all these guys, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, he's referring to the heroes of faith, but he's also referring to your, your loved ones that have, have entered into eternity that have left this world. He says that, that, that they're watching us. If you've ever wondered, is grandma up in heaven watching me? Yeah, she is. Uh, I know that's awkward at certain times during the day, but grand, grandma's looking down from heaven on you, right? And, and, and your lost loved ones are, are, are doing that, those that are in eternity. It says these guys are, are looking down on he- from heaven. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. They're watching us. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run. Now, understand that the author of this letter He's writing into a context and time where the people would have understood what that meant. See, there, it was very common for them to have races, to actually have, have like marathons and things like that, to have races, and, and, and the runners then had no shame. Our, our runners today wear really, really short shorts. Anybody ever watch running like the, the, the marathons and things? They, they wear really, really short shorts and like barely anything on top, right? Because they want to be able to move easily. Well, in this day, the runners would actually strip completely naked and just run free because that, that, that kept them from being entangled. And so the author of this is writing into that, that context. And now that you understand it, you can see clearly what he means. He's like, I don't want you getting tripped up. I want you to run well. 
Now, I'm not down for, for running illustrations. Like, I, I believe what the Bible says, that only the wicked run when no one is chasing them. Can I get a witness out there? That's biblical. I mean, it's just true. So those of you that are runners, you need to get on board. I'm just saying. But, but, the, but the Bible compares our life to a race that we are running. And that, that he wants us to finish well. It says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. That there's a course marked out for us. There's a time period that we're to run. And the Bible wants us to do that well, to run with perseverance. This is, hey, let's throw off all the stuff. Let, 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 let's throw off the addictions. Let's throw off the habits. Let's throw off the tendencies. Let's throw off the things that miss the mark of God's best for our life. Let's throw those things off so that we can, we can run and do this race well. I love that this is in the Bible. I love that this is here. Because a lot of people have an idea of what it looks like to be a Christian. They think that when you are a Christian, you're perfect. And not only are you perfect, but that your life is perfect. That everything is sunshine and rainbows all the time. And then when they come to Christ and they come to church and the first bad thing happens to them, they start crying about it and going, but I'm a Christian, I don't understand. Isn't everything supposed to be good now? And I'm like, show me the chapter and verse in the Bible because I would love to know where that is. It says in the Bible, you're never going to have any problems, that you're never going to have any issues. Because once you show it to me, me and God got some talking to do. Can I get a witness out there? But it's not in the Bible. It doesn't say that we won't have problems. It doesn't say that we won't have issues. It doesn't say that we're going to be perfect or that our life circumstances will be perfect. What it says is that, hey, we understand how difficult it's going to be. Like, you need to throw off that stuff that's going to be hard for you. That, that, that life is going to be tough, that you've got an enemy of your soul that's going to try to tempt you away from God's best for your life. That, that, it, that finishing your race and finishing it with perseverance is going to be difficult. You say, Aaron, we don't always know how to throw off those things that we're so easily entangled with. We don't always know how to get out of the, the pattern of sin in our lives. And that's why we need somebody to help us. And that's what this series is all about. We're taking somebody who's in the stands and bringing them alongside us. Because, you know, when somebody's in the stands, they're yelling to you, and you can hear them, and it's nice. You can feel their support, but you can't always make out what they're saying unless you're my kids. See, when you, if you were to ever come to a soccer game with me or to any sports event with me, my kids always know exactly what Shanda was saying because she screams so loud. It's almost to the point of embarrassment, like, oh, dear God, she's at it again. Like, she really yells. And, and she's on the sidelines shouting, because that's what parents do, right? Kick it, go! But I mean, like, she's like gritting and bearing down and like faces turning red. You should come to a sports game with her. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> but you can't always make out what people are saying from the stands. And so we're, so we're pulling these heroes of the faith out of the stands and having them stand on the sideline, maybe run a lap with us of our life to help us get, un, get throw off all the things that get us entangled, throw off the sin that... That so easily takes us off course. And that's what this is all about. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to pull Noah out of the stands. Last couple of weeks, we pulled Moses out. We pulled Abraham out. This week, we're going to pull Noah out of the stands. And I think there's some simple things that Noah would say to us. And these are just kind of fun. Uh, first, I think Noah would tell you, hey, don't miss the boat. That's some simple advice, right? Don't, don't miss the boat. Everybody that missed the boat died. If you know the story of Noah and the ark, everybody else died. So don't miss the boat. I also think because Noah took 120 years to build the ark, I, I think he'd maybe tell you, plan ahead. Life requires a plan, so plan ahead. 
Also know that, that Noah suffered a lot of persecution. People made fun of him. So I think he'd say to us today, haters going to hate. And then I think if you had a chance to ask him or to talk to him about his ark experience, I think he'd tell you that woodpeckers were not a good idea on the boat. Listen, if you really don't think they're that funny, you can just give me a courtesy laugh because I really work, really appreciate that. If I had a chance to ask Noah something, I think I'd ask him why he didn't just kill the two mosquitoes that were there. Like, just end it all. Like, you know, why did he have to keep them? I told a friend of mine that I was doing the, this, the message this Sunday, and he said, I've got a good Noah joke. Do you want it? I said, sure, tell it to me. He says, where did Noah keep the bees on the boat? In his archive. <laughs> You're welcome. And we'll just keep right moving along. So... Today we're going to take some time to get to know Noah. And, and when you look at the Bible, uh, if you've never read your Bible cover to cover, front to back, uh, here, here's how your Bible is laid out. It's not laid out like a normal story is where it goes chronologically from beginning to end. And it's not even laid out in a way that would make sense to the story. Uh, if you read it, you know, Genesis all the way through to Revelation at the end, it, it's not laid out in a, in a way like, okay, we're going to tell this bit of the story because then it'll make sense when we get here. It just, it's just not done that way. Your Bible's actually organized into two, two separate sections. The Old Testament, which is about 4,000 years of history, and then Jesus steps on the scene, and then we have the New Testament. That's the second half of your Bible, and that contains about 2,000 years of history for us, okay? And uh, in the Old Testament, that's where we find Noah. That's when God created Adam and Eve, and God created the, ark, or the, uh, the Garden of uh, Eden, and that's, that's where they were, and that, that all starts the clock ticking at about 4,000 B.C., Okay? Noah comes on to the scene about 10 generations after Adam and Eve. So this is about 3,000 B.C., so it's 1,000 years into the world's creation. And the world looked very different than it did today, uh, very, very, very different. Though sin had entered into the world and the, and, and the earth had now been cursed because of what Adam and Eve had done, the world was, began a degenerative state, but it did not look how it did today. In fact, up to Noah's time, people lived a really, really long time. Noah himself lived 950 years. He didn't start having kids until he was 500, which I think that's a really good idea today. I'm just letting you know. Uh, and, and then he didn't start building the ark until he was 600. And, and so and even Noah's grandfather was Methuselah. You've probably heard the phrase, older than Methuselah. Well, that's a reference to the oldest man who's ever lived, and he was 969 years old. A lot of numbers. Just trying to tell you, people lived a lot longer in that time. It was a very, very different time. And then, of course, the, the earth was very different as well. In Noah's time, the earth was self-sufficient. It had never rained up until this point. <clears throat> and so in his time, when God tells Noah to begin to build a boat, this has never happened before. He, he's like, hey, it's going to rain, and it's going to flood the world. And everybody's like, That's, that has just never happened. And I understand that in this situation, as I'm talking to you about how old people lived or how long people lived and and about no rain and about how the earth was self-sustaining. And all that sounds like a fairy tale to you, doesn't it? It sounds a little far-fetched. Like, really? Is that really the case? I mean, and I, I actually believe that it was. I actually believe the earth will be restored to that state at some point in time. The Bible says that, that the earth will be, be cleansed by fire at some point in time, that there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, and that the earth will be back in that state. But what had happened in Noah's time is that wickedness had entered into the hearts of man. And, and the Bible says that, that the heart of men was wicked all the time. That's all that they pursued. And as a result of it, 
the, the culture and the world began to degenerate faster. And so that's what's happening here. Uh, Noah, Noah is uh, getting ready to build this boat. And you'll find here's what happens after the flood is men don't live that long anymore. In fact, Moses, who comes a few generations later, only lives about 120 years. Jewish tradition later on through the Bible, we read that they say that, that it's appointed men 70 years to live. And now today, life expectancy is even lower because of the wickedness of mankind, because sin has caused us to continue to degenerate. And I get it. It sounds like a fairy tale. And yes, I really believe what the Bible says. I believe there was somebody that lived 969 years. I believe that there was an ark. I even believe in Jonah. And that's why I'm going to teach you the Bible this way. I believe Jonah and the whale, or the, the story of the great fish. Like I take the Bible literally what it says, because here's the deal. If I start taking God's word and I start reducing it down to what I can wrap my brain around, then I've reduced God down to the size of my brain. And that's not a God that I want to serve because I'm a terrible God. God's so much bigger than my brain. He's so much more beyond me. And so I just, I just take these stories at face value, and I believe them, and that's why I'll teach them to you that way. In fact, it reminds me of a funny story. This girl was, was uh, assigned a, a, a historical assignment in her class, and she was able to choose whatever subject she wanted, so she chose Jonah. And you know the story of Jonah and the whale, how God sent him on a mission, he runs from God, and he winds up in this ship on, on, the, on the sea, and they decide to throw him overboard. He gets swallowed by a big fish in the belly of the fish for three days. The fish spits him up on land after the third day, and then Jonah goes about his business and does what God told him to do. We know this story. It's very familiar to us. And the, and the girl finishes her giving her report in front of the class, and the teacher leans in and says, you don't really believe that, do you? Like, that's not really possible for someone to survive in the belly of the fish. That didn't really happen, did it? And the little girl said, well, when I get to heaven, I'll ask him. And she says, well, the teacher said, well, what if he's not in heaven? And the little girl thought for a second, and she said, well, I guess you can ask him then. <sighs> All right, let's get into the context, or content of the message. All right, let's just go there. So, so what is it Noah would say to, say to us? I, I think Noah would speak to those of you that are here in this room today that, would, that would believe that your life does not count for much. That, that, uh, that, that he would tell us today that one person really can make a difference. One person. Because he was one person and he really made a difference. And the fact, the, the reason that I'm sharing this with you today is because I think that too oftentimes we doubt that. We really doubt that our lives can count for something. That, that individually, that they matter. And that we as an individual can make a difference in this world today. We, we come to the table thinking, well, I'm not as talented as that guy. Well, I've got more baggage than that girl. I've made more mistakes than anybody I know. I come from the wrong side of the tracks. I come from the wrong family. I, that my, my, wife, my life does not count as much as someone else's. Maybe I'm too old now and I can't make a difference. And you come to the table believing that you can't. And for those of you today who don't think your life counts, I'm here to tell you that that Noah would tell you and I would tell you that your life matters and that you can make a difference. So let's look at his story from Genesis 6, 5 through 8. It says, the Lord saw how great uh, man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Now this is story, Noah's story in the Old Testament, but Noah's referenced twice in the New Testament. And he's, talked to, he's referenced by Jesus and he's referenced by Peter. And Jesus is talking about him in reference to the end times, and he's saying that, that the end times will be just like it was in Noah's day, that everything will be wicked. 
And, and, and I really believe that we're in the end times. I'm, I'm not sure that there's much else biblically as far as prophecy goes that needs to be, uh, that needs to be fulfilled. And I believe that we're in wicked times. And many people don't want to believe that. Because if they really believed we were in wicked times, they'd have to do something about it. We, we want to we put ourselves in the walls of our church, and we want to hide here, and we want to praise you, Jesus, everything is good. I'm just making up a song as we go. Everything's good. And, and we don't want to believe and, and look at the wickedness around us, and yet there, there's all kinds of human trafficking going on. There's children that are senselessly being slaughtered so that they can, their organs can be harvested. The drug epidemic that is going on in this world is insane. In fact, even in this country, Ohio is number three on the list on the top 10 states that are struggling with this epidemic, with the drug epidemic. But we don't want to hear that. We want to believe that everything's okay. We want to live in our little bubble where everything is safe. And we don't want to look at that stuff. But Jesus is talking about our times and comparing them to, to Noah's days. Things are wicked. The verse continues in verse 5. It says, The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I'll wipe mankind who I've created from the face of the earth. Any parents understand this verse if you're, when your kids start misbehaving because you look at them and say, I brought you into this earth and I'll take you out. And God says, Men and animals and creatures that move along the ground, the birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. People don't like this side of God. They don't like the, the, the side of God that says there's a, a day of reckoning coming, like there's a, a time of judgment coming. We want to hear about the God that's full of love, because he is. His love's unconditional. We want to hear about the God that wants to bless us, because he does. We want to hear about the God that's full of grace and full of mercy, the one that wants to give us the, the redo, and, and God does all those things. But we, but we don't like talking about the God that, that says, hey, there's a, there's a time of judgment that is coming. A day is coming. But like Noah, I believe that you and I have found favor in the eyes of the Lord. When God was ready to give up on all of mankind during Noah's days, he found one person who could make a difference. This message, I think, is so important, especially to us as a church. And here's why I need you to know it. Here's why I need you to believe it. Because if you don't believe that your life can make a difference, then you'll live your life in a way that it's just all about you. That, that it's all about stuff. It's all about the money you can earn. It's all about the job. It's all about the accomplishments. It's all about your career and, and your family and your public status and your Facebook followers. And you'll make life all about you. And life is just simply not about us. God wants to use every bit and every part of our lives to make a difference in someone else's life. And you need to believe that because if you believe that you can make a difference, then you'll live your life differently. That's why this message is so important today. So let me show you three areas of your life that you can make a difference in our encouragement from Noah today. The first thing you can do is make a difference for your family. You can make a difference for your family. Look at the, when we look at the Genesis part of Noah's story, it says this, the Lord then said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I found your whole family righteous, I found your wife righteous, I found your kids and their spouses righteous. No. He said, I have found you righteous. I found you righteous in this generation. It was Noah, not his family, who had found favor. And now his family's getting on the boat as a result of his relationship with God, as a result 
of the favor that God has given him. And that's why you can make a difference. Because it just takes one person. The favor that, that you attract, the favor that God gives you, can affect, affect those that are around you. That's why I need you to understand that the way you live matters. It matters. If you live a life that is most blessed, if you live a life according to God's standards, if you live a life according to his ways, then your life becomes something of the shiny. It becomes something that is bright. It is the way you live your life that people will see and be drawn to God. It is that life that you, that you live that will make a difference in other people's lives. Look at Acts 16, 31. It says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, a lot of people have taken that verse and said, so that means that if I say yes to Jesus, that my whole family is good to go? And the, the answer is no. It doesn't say your family. It says your household. Now, your Bible's written in Hebrew in the Old Testament, Greek in the New Testament, and the word that is translated here is the word oikos. And it, it's where we get the word household. But it literally means your sphere of influence. And so when we read that word again and attach that meaning to it, the, the original definition, it means that if you give your life to God, you can impact your sphere of influence. The, in other words, your salvation isn't just about you. Your salvation is about you and the people that you influence. It's about your life shining in a way that people look to you and say, what is it that you have? I want that. It's about you living your life in such a way that you're like salt, the Bible calls you, where you add value to your culture and to your community and your environment. It's living your life so that you make a difference in your sphere of influence. Some of you are here today and you don't know who your sphere of influence is. Let me help you. Sociologists today say that your sphere of influence includes about 12 people. And these 12 people are defined by whoever in your life that you spend a, an hour a week with. If you spend an hour a week with somebody, those are your people. And that if you do the math, most people have about 12. Which is interesting because Jesus had his 12 disciples that he poured into. That was his sphere of influence. And so if you'll think through your life, you'll figure out who those people are. Can I tell you something that's sad as you look at this too? The average father today spends about seven minutes a day with their kid. Seven minutes a day times seven days a week is 49 minutes. That means that their own children are usually not even within the sphere of their own influence. I think that's, that's just something to think about. But today you have the opportunity. Those, those people in your sphere of influence, those are people that you can make a difference in their lives. Those, that's your household. That's your family. That's your people right there. Those 12 people, you can make a difference. The way you live your life matters. In fact, I'll tell you a story of a young lady here. Her name's Terry. Earlier this year, I challenged you. I said, hey, let's identify one person in your sphere. One person, and I gave everybody lifesavers, life, life the, the individually wrapped ones. And I said, put one in your pocket. And I want you to attach one of the people's names to that lifesaver. And every time you feel that in your pocket or every time you take it out or, or put, and put it on your desk or put it back in your pocket for the day, I want you to carry it around every day. And every time you feel that, I want you just to say a prayer for that person. Say a prayer that that person would come to know Jesus. And I challenged you to do it. And then, and then the day that that person said yes to Jesus, I wanted you to pull that lifesaver out, pop it open, and have yourself a little snack. Like just, just to have a little celebration and a party, right? Well, one of our people that took that challenge, her name is Terry, and she, she, her person that she was praying for were Rihanna and Tom. She said, these are, the, these are the ones. She attached two names to them. And I'm here to tell you this morning, Rihanna and Tom were sitting right here this morning during service. They said yes to Jesus, and all because of the way that Terry lived her life and because she was praying for them, being intentional about influencing people in her sphere. I think, I think it's important that you know 
you can influence. You can make a difference in your family. The second thing you can do is make a difference for your generation. This is not just for you. This is not just for your, your sphere of influence. This is in the world, in your world around you right now. You can make a difference. In fact, if you're a Christ follower today, I would say not only do you have the opportunity, but you have a responsibility to make a difference in the generation today. Listen to me, young people, those of you that are in this room, the devil's greatest trick that he'll ever use on you is to try to teach you that life is all about you, that life is all about enjoying this world, enjoying money, enjoying activities, enjoying fun stuff. If he can get you to believe that it's all about you, then you won't live your life in such a way that you can make a difference. But it isn't about you. It's about, uh, about making a difference in other people's lives. God doesn't have a problem with you enjoying activities. He doesn't have a problem with you enjoying relationships and the sports and the events that you go to. God doesn't have an issue with that. But he wants you living your life in such a way that you can make a difference in other people's lives. And if we're not careful, you'll make your life all about you. We make our life all about us. It happens in church too. Church people wanna make the church all about us. They wanna make Sunday morning all about us. And we wanna change our programming. We wanna do things. We wanna go, they, they ask me, Hey, Pastor Aaron, on Sunday mornings, can we go a little bit deeper? And what they mean by that is they want me to talk about something they've never heard before, a.k.a. something confusing, right? <laughs> but around here, we choose to just keep it simple, amen? We like it simple. We, we talk about it on a, on a very, 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 uh, uh, on a level that everybody can understand. We want to make sure that, that it's clear here on Sunday mornings what we're talking about. And those of you that want that, listen, can I just say something to you? This is why you open up the Bible on a regular basis yourself. This is why you get into a grow group so that you can study and you can go deeper. That's what, that's what those are there for. And we encourage you to be a part of those groups. But on Sunday morning, this, this, isn't, this isn't that opportunity for us to go deeper. This isn't a service that is wired or geared for church people. Sunday morning is wired and geared for lost people, for people who have never encountered or experienced the presence and power of God. We want them to do that on a Sunday morning. That's why we, we, when we come, we need to be inviting church. We need to bring people so that they can encounter God here. And for the rest of us that are already in, for the rest of us that are already Christ followers, Sunday morning should be more like a locker room at halftime where, you, where we gather in with the coach and he's like, all right, here's what we're gonna do this week. Here's some practical steps. This is what we need to live our lives. Now let's go out and do it and be the shiny so that we can make a difference. That's what Sunday morning is really all about. But we want it to be all about us. Listen, my, my, my hope for you and my heart for you is that we'll go from being nearsighted to, to being able to see everything around us. Let me explain that. I'm, a near, I'm nearsighted. And I didn't know this. I kinda get, I've gotten this confused all my life. <laughs> that, that when you're nearsighted, I assume that it means that that, that you can't see things up close. It's like the only medical condition that's named for what you can do, not what you can't do, right? And so I've always said, well, I'm farsighted. No, farsighted means you can see far away, but you can't see up close. I think most of us, though, we, we live our lives nearsighted because nearsighted means you can see things up close. And we live our lives in a nearsighted state where, where we can see ourselves, we can see our lives, we can see our family, but we don't see much beyond that. See, when you're nearsighted and you put on your glasses, the world appears before you. You can see further away. I can see, I can see faces. I can see situations. I can see clearly far away from me. And if we're not careful, we'll live very nearsighted lives. In fact, Jesus called out to us and said, listen, we just need to open up our eyes. 
Do you know why Jesus wants us to open up our eyes? Do you know why he wants us to be able to see further than just beyond our little world? It's because when Jesus saw things, and you'll see this all throughout his story, when Jesus saw things, something changed. And every time I see this, and Jesus saw, written in my Bible, I draw big eyeballs right there, because what did he see? I ask the question, what did Jesus see? And whatever picture you paint in that moment, on the other side of Jesus saw, you see Jesus, Jesus was moved with compassion. This is why it's important that we see outside of our little bubble. Because if we see something, we'll be moved by compassion. You know what happens when we're moved by compassion? Miracles happen. Jesus healed people. Jesus touched a leper. That was not supposed to be done. He, he saw a need that was greater than just physical healing. Lepers weren't allowed to be touched. And Jesus touched him. He raised people from the dead. Jesus being moved by compassion. And he says to us, open up your eyes. He wants us to be able to see. Because when we see someone, we'll make that call. We see someone who's hurting, we'll make that call and encourage them. When we see somebody who's, who's discouraged, we'll come to them and support them and love them through a difficult time. Those are real miracles too, guys. Those are real miracles. And we need to be careful that we don't live our lives nearsighted. We need to see past our sphere, see past our family. We need to widen our gaze to our generation. Here's what the New Testament says about this in Acts 13, 36. For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. Not the generation before, the generation after when he served his generation. He had fulfilled his purpose. He had fulfilled his calling. And David made a difference in his own generation, and you can too. The last place Noah would tell us that we can make a difference is we can make a difference for God. We can make a difference for God. Do you know how you do that? You say yes to what he's asking you to do. That's it. God's looking for someone to say yes. I think too oftentimes we discount ourselves because many of us have a yes, but what we don't have is, well, we don't feel equipped. We're not fearless. Uh, we're not prepared. We're not ready. You say, well, God only calls people that are, that, that are tall, that are skinny, that are good looking. God only calls people that are rich. Those are not the people that God calls. God calls people that have a yes. That, that's it. That's who he calls. Look at the nature of God in 2 Chronicles 16.9. It says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. He's just looking for someone who will say yes. That's it. He's looking for someone who wants to make a difference. Is that you? He's looking for someone who will say yes to his calling. That, that's all he's looking for. And it's almost as if he's doing that because he's, he's having difficulty finding someone. Not a lot of people want to volunteer to say yes to what God's asking them to do. In fact, in Ezekiel twenty-two thirty, 30, he's having the same problem. It says, I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. It's hard to find people who say yes. Hard to find people who believe that their life can make a difference. And so they'll say yes to God's calling. He'd say yes to God's leading in their lives. It's hard to. But I believe today that we've got a room full of people who are saying yes, and if aren't already saying yes, are ready to say yes. So my question is, will you say yes? What are you waiting for? There's never been a better time than now to say yes. Let me tell you something. A, a simple yes that you can say. 
today. You can make the determination, make the decision that you're going to do it. We have something called Growth Track that we prepare for you that will help you understand how God has wired you and created you to make a difference in people's lives. Because many people don't know that. They don't know what that's all about. They don't even know that God has a calling for them, let alone how much God loves them. And Growth Track is four simple steps to understanding that. Something you can say yes to today, hey, I'm going to go to step one. That's the first Sunday of, the, of, of November. That's the first Sunday of every month. And then I'm going to go to step two, which is week two. Step three, which is week three. Step four, which is week four of the Sunday, or, uh, or the fourth Sunday of the month. Then I'm going to go to those things and I'm going to follow God's plan and purpose for my life. I'm going to figure out exactly what he has with me, what he has for me. That, that's a simple yes that you can say yes to today to his leading and his guidance there. You say, Aaron, why, why do you do growth track? I get asked that by pastors. They ask me not only why do we do growth track, but they ask me why do we do growth track every week? And, and I have one answer for them. Because some of them do growth track once every other month. They'll do it once a quarter or, or sporadically as they know they have need. Do you know why we do it every month? Because one person can make a difference. And if I have one person that is willing to step into growth track that is ready now to say yes to God's leading and his plan and purpose for their lives, then it's worth running growth track for. Because one person can make a difference. And as a church, we're gonna spend our time, we're gonna spend our resources equipping people who have a yes for the work that God's called them to do. I've never had a single person leading growth track come to me and say, Aaron, we only had two people in there today. It doesn't really seem worth doing. No, because those that are leading and facilitating growth track know how valuable one person is. That one person can make a difference. One person can change the future of the world. So we'll do all that we can to equip people to make a difference, not only in their families, in their sphere of influence, but in their generation and for God. And so as we say farewell to Noah, as he runs back up into the stands, I think there's a few parting gifts he would give us, I think, I think Noah, being a good Jewish guy, would maybe grab me by the beard and tap my face and say, son, let me just tell you something before I head back in the stands. I think first he would tell me, listen, don't be afraid to stand out in a crowd. See, God's going to call you to do something that may look foolish. It may be against the flow. But to be a difference maker, you have to be different. That's the reason why a lot of us aren't making a difference in our coworkers' lives, in our homes, in our extended families, in our communities. The reason you're not making a difference is because you're not any different than them. You live and act just like they do. Young people, and you're here today, and if you're listening, understand when you go to schools and you're around all your friends and even just kids in your classrooms, there's plenty of kids that are hurting in there. They're hurting because of their home life. Maybe the mom and dad are going through a divorce. They're hurting because maybe, maybe, maybe they live with mom or live with dad or maybe they live with an aunt or an uncle because some kind of trouble at home. Maybe they're suicidal because they've been bullied and made fun of and called names. Maybe they're facing some kind of addiction because they said yes to using some drugs at some point in time and they don't know how to get out of that situation. Or maybe they're facing the consequences of sexual sin. Now they have a child or a, a disease that they've contracted as a result, and they're struggling. 
and you want to reach out to them and you want to help them and you want to serve them and you want to be a blessing to them and you don't want them to hurt, but the thing is you, you can't make a difference in their life unless you're different. If you want to help them the most, then give all you've got now for Jesus and live a life for him. That's how you live different. I know that that's tough. I, I get it. Being different is, is tough. But look at Noah. And here's a guy who declared, man, it's going to rain. It had never rained before. And he's building a boat in the middle of land. He's waiting 120 years. You know, they said that Noah actually probably had to grow the trees around him because he really wouldn't have had a mechanism or a way to haul the lumber, that he would have cut down the trees and grown them. And then there's just people speculating on how that happened, why it took so long. Could you imagine me in the 87th year of the 120? It's going to rain, guys. You want to get in here and help? You can get on the boat. <laughs> Could you imagine him being mocked and being scorned? Don't be afraid to stand out in the crowd, especially you young people. I don't know. I'm not picking on you guys today. I just wanted to encourage you. Don't be afraid to stand out in the crowd. When everyone else is doing it, be the one who does it. You go to a movie and the content goes south, be, be the one who looks away. Be the one who covers your eyes. Be the one who maybe walks out. Don't be afraid to excuse yourself from gossip. Don't be that person who's afraid to, to say, no, that, that's an unethical thing, and I'm not going to do that on the job. I, I'm not going to join you in doing that. I'm not going to join you in cheating on the test. I'm not going to join you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be different. Because here's what the Bible has to say. If you live your life afraid to be different, if you live your life afraid that somebody's going to make fun of you or bully you, Says fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. It's hard to live right in an unrighteous environment, and I know we're in one right now. But don't be afraid to stand out in the crowd. And then he'd tell us, hey, don't be afraid to do something for the first time. You know, chances are God's going to ask you to do something a little out of your comfort zone. It may seem a little foolish to you. It may seem a little unreasonable to you. But to be a difference maker you have to be more concerned about obeying God than looking foolish. I think that was so good. Somebody should be writing that down. I'll say it again. To be a difference maker, you have to be more concerned about obeying God than looking foolish. Don't look at a, don't, don't look at a statement like, well, it's never been done before, or I've never done that, and allow that to be the thing that defines what you're going to do now. Don't, don't do that. Don't, don't let that keep you from doing what God's called you to do or what he's asked you to do. In fact, every year when I, when I take a team to Honduras, we've, where a church is five years old, we've gone on four trips. We're going to go on another one next year. And, uh, and every year I go, I always challenge the team that's with me to do something that's outside of their comfort zone. And I let them know that. Hey, by the way, we're going to go here, and I'm going to ask you to do something that you don't want to do. I'm going to ask you to love people in a way that you're uncomfortable with. I'm going to ask you to pray with somebody out loud, and maybe you've never done that. I'm going to ask you to get up in front of people and share your story. Oh, and you're going to have to do it through a translator, two things you've never done before. I'm going to ask them to, to, to be uncomfortable. And every single person that I've ever challenged to do that, given them something uncomfortable to do, something that is beyond their comfort level, they have never once looked at me and said, how dare you do that when it was all done? Every single one of them, their lives were forever changed because they stepped outside of their comfort zone and did something for God that they'd never done before. So don't let that be the thing that defines you. Hebrews 11 says, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, that's the rain, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. And by, faith, by his faith he condemned the world 
and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah got something that nobody else got because he wasn't afraid to do something that he had never done before and that nobody else had done. He took a huge leap, and you can too. Don't be afraid to do something for the first time. In fact, there's many of you in this room, some of your first time things look like this. Don't quit. Don't quit. Many of you are in a place in your life that, you're, that things are going well, things are going healthy, and you're getting tired. Maybe something's come to shake you a little bit. I'm here to tell you don't quit. I'm also here to tell you step up. That's a word for some of you. It's time for you to step up. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but you know what that means. Maybe it's something you've never done before, but it's time to step up. It's also time to take the risk. God, following Jesus is worth it. Whatever it is that you feel like, man, that, that's a risky thing, God, that you're calling me to, go for it. Or how about this? This one's, this one's practical. This one's simple. Apologize now. Maybe that's something you're not familiar with. Maybe that's not your normal behavior, and it'll probably take the person that you're apologizing to off guard. They'll be like, what did you just say? Apologize now. Do something you've never done before. Or maybe it's time to get out. Now, I'm not talking to you married people. You need to stay in, all right? I'm not something that the pastor just said I can get out. I'm going, lady. No, I'm not talking to you. But some of you are in unhealthy relationships. You're, you, you've got an unhealthy, you, maybe you're dating, uh, you're dating somebody in an unhealthy relationship, or maybe you've got a, a toxic, somebody that's in your life and you've allowed them to be there too long. It's time to get out of that relationship. Others of you maybe slow down is something you need to do. We just came out of a whole series talking about margin and slowing down. And you haven't done it yet. What are you waiting for? I know that it's going to be difficult. Some of it's going to be stuff you've never done. But slow down. Or how about this one? Call them today. Man, that's a powerful one. God will put somebody on your heart sometimes. And you're like, well, I, I hear you, Lord. Like, I hear their name, but I don't know what I'm supposed to say to them. Don't let that be the thing that defines your obedience. Call them. Pick up the phone and call them. Ask them for coffee. Spend some time with them. Just tell them, hey, I was just thinking about you and see where the conversation goes from there. Call them and start today. Whatever that is that's been on your heart that you've been putting off, that God's been talking to you about, it's time to start today. Others of you, this, one, this one's really, really important. It says, get help. Some of you, you dug yourself into a situation that you're not really sure how to get out of. You didn't mean to get here. Your pride has kept you there. And you're struggling. Maybe you're struggling in your relationships. Maybe you're struggling with an addiction. I'm not really sure. But, but you're not really sure how to do it. In fact, if you could have got out of it by now on your own, you would have. You need to get help. Make the call today. Ask for help. Find somebody here in your, or somebody in your grow group. Say, I, I need help. You know, in Noah's story, when the waters receded, God gave him a sign. He gave him a promise that he would never flood the earth again. And he gave him a rainbow in the sky because if it never rained, rained before, there was never a rainbow, and now there's one. And God says, I'm never going to destroy the earth again by water. But, but that symbol in the sky, that rainbow, meant more than just, hey, I'm not going to destroy the earth again. So I think Noah would say to us, when you see a rainbow, remember that one person can make a difference. Today, when you leave this place, you see that rainbow, it, it took one person, Noah, to make an impact on his family and, and, and on the rest of the world today as we know it. Because if all of mankind was wiped out, that means we all come from Noah. One guy who found favor with God. One guy who made a difference. And, and I think that promise that God gave us, that we would never destroy the world again by water, also means something deeper. 
It means that God will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. In fact, in, in Matthew 28, 20, Jesus is already resurrected from the dead and he's talking to his disciples and he's about to ascend to heaven and he says, listen, be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Why does that matter? Because presence matters. Who's standing by your side matters. When you're facing the issues of life today, it matters. Having a loved one stand with you can give confidence, can give strength, give peace. And this isn't just a loved one. This isn't just a friend. We're talking about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We're talking about Jesus who's promised to stand with us, to never, ever leave us. And as a result, we have his strength. As a result, we have his power. As a result, we have the Holy Spirit who's leading us and guiding us. And we have all of that. And Jesus is like, listen, I'm going to use all of this and all that I bring to the table because I'm with you. I'm going to use all that so that you feel empowered to make a difference in someone else's life. You can do it. We can do it. Earlier, I told you that Noah is mentioned twice in the Bible, in the, in the New Testament, and Jesus mentioned him in reference to the end times, and so does Peter. And Peter says this, he says, By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. And we've heard this message before, that there's a time coming, there's a judgment day coming. You say, well, Aaron, it's been two, more than 2,000 years since Jesus was here. How come it hasn't happened yet? This was Peter writing this. This is, this is old news. It hasn't happened yet. Why hasn't it happened yet? And Peter answers that question. He says, the Lord's not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Why hasn't the end come yet? I think God's waiting on you. He's waiting on you to say yes. And if you're here and you don't know him today, today you can know him. Or maybe you're here today and you know him and you've not given your life to him in a way that you're living a life in such a way that you make a difference in other people's lives, today you have that opportunity. Let's pray. Father, today I pray that our worth would be found in you and who you are, not who we are. Lord, I pray today that we would be very aware that of your presence and that you are with us always. And that with you all things are possible. And that since you're with us, we don't have to be afraid to stand out in the crowd. We don't have to be afraid to do something we've never done before. And because of that, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be bold in being a difference maker in our families. And Lord, to see clearly past just our sphere of influence, but to see the difference we can make in our generation all in your name. God, I believe that one person can make a difference. One person can change the world. And we can do that because you are with us. Now, if you're here today and you're like, Aaron, man, I'm... I'm here and, and, and I'm, I'm not with God. Like, that's not my relationship. I wouldn't define myself as someone who knows him. But today I'm ready to do that. I'm ready to know God. I'm ready to begin a relationship with him. I'm not saying I'm gonna be perfect. I'm not saying I know how to do all of this, but I'm ready to, I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to say yes. And if that's you and you're here today and you're ready to say yes to a relationship with God, whether whether today you would say, Aaron, this is my first time saying yes to Jesus, or maybe, maybe you've, you've had a relationship with God and you've fallen far away from him. Today's that opportunity to come back. And so I'm gonna pray a prayer in a moment. 
It's really just a conversation with God, and I'll lead you in that conversation. And if that's you and you're here today and you say, Aaron, I, I, I need to, to, to start that relationship with Jesus or I need to start it over. I won't embarrass you by having you come up front. In fact, I want you to stay right where you're at, but, but I'd love to know if you're here. Would you just slip your hand up and say, Aaron, that's me. Would you do that now? So that's me. I need to know Jesus. I need to be in a relationship with him. Yeah. Awesome. If you're here with us in this room or if you're listening on the podcast or through the live broadcast, I would just encourage you all to pray with us. Church, why don't you pray with us all too? Nobody prays alone. Say, Jesus, I need you. I open my heart to you today and I give you my life. Forgive me of my sins and make me brand new. Show me how to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Come on, church, can we celebrate?